Welcome TTB community. I am Bob Demena, and each week we like to bring you insight from travel authors, adventurers, conservationists, digital nomads, tour guides, and some of our very own personal experiences. Helping me on the podcast today is the very astute Elliot Shibley. Thank you, Bob. Yeah. And I, I guess I shouldn't say helping. I, I, I kind of went with a curveball with the introduction there. You did. It was, yeah. it was quite the curveball. Yeah, I actually sorry. struck out. Keeping things exciting. Yeah. So this is the Travel Bites episode every month, beginning of the month, and we discuss travel-related news from the past month. So this is all from September. And before we get into those articles, we talk, Bob and I talk about our experience doing the four-state challenge along the Appalachian Trail through Maryland, Virginia, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And the other articles that we'll be discussing is proposed legislation affecting credit card rewards. We talk about Newark Airport. We talk about ants, not not your uh, related, blood-related ant, but the, the actual small little thing that lives in ground, in the ground. And then we talk about travel company that wants you to visit Ukraine. We talk about a plane's failed descent in, was that Ethiopia or was it an Ethiopian airliner? I think it was in Sudan <clears throat> from an Ethiopian, Ethiopian airliner. And then we talk about a new tool that shows what you're owed for delayed or canceled flights, why the new iPhone 14 Pro is a game changer for travelers, and why other phones may have already been there. And then with the last article is about a Louisiana woman. So travel tip of the week is be very cautious if you book an Airbnb with zero reviews. And we'll talk about that along with our four-state challenge conversation. But before we get started, if you like this podcast and you find it entertaining, please consider giving us a review on iTunes or any other platform that you can. If you love us, we'd be forever grateful if you could subscribe to the show and share some of our social media posts, episodes with friends, family, coworkers, whatever. Follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, and we do post clips and images of these podcasts to those social media sites. If you have any questions, feel free to email us at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com. Lastly, please consider some of the cool travel products we offer. How do you organize and plan your trip? So if you like to keep your trip organized like we do, you can use the travel journal and planner that we developed for our very own personal travel experiences. This will allow you to record things like the dates, the budget, the top destinations, the currency exchange rate, the time difference. It has a fillable calendar and it provides you the ability to write out your entire itinerary by the hour. In addition to that, it has a place to store reservation information, a packing list, a to-do list. And then at the very back, it offers you space to journal about your trip. You can find this travel journal planner on our products page. And once you download it, you have it forever and you can reprint and refill it out for every trip you have moving forward. Now, if you do decide to purchase this, we encourage you to reach out to us with any tips to make it better. To help compile all of your info for the journal slash planner, we turned ourselves into cartoons to create a five-part video course that provides a step-by-step -step process to create the ultimate itinerary, including number one, navigation, number two, booking airfare, number three, blogs, research, and reviews, number four, itinerary building, and number five, safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. The goal of this video tutorial is so that you can become your own personal travel agent and learn how to be planned efficient trips now and forever, all the while saving you money to splurge on a nice meal or first class seat for your next adventure. Yeah. And now, so if you still think that planning your trip is a little bit too much, or you just don't have time to sit down and actually do it, 
I can personally plan your trip for you using all the information that we just mentioned. If you're interested in this, please send me an email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com or visit our service pages on our website and we can meet over Zoom to discuss the details of your trip. You want to contribute to the podcast? If you work in the travel industry, you can join us for a travel around table discussion by submitting your information through the TAT form on our website. You can also send us a travel article via direct message or at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com for the monthly Travel Bites episode. Support us by wearing us. Go to redbubble.com to find awesome gear and merchandise of the Traveler's Blueprint. Some of the cost comes directly to us to help support the podcast. We definitely recommend the hoodie and the hat and maybe a sticker or a travel mug. Whether you purchase a product from us or just want to learn about travel alongside us as we interview our guests, know that we greatly value your support as a listener of the show. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. This first article is about the four state challenge. It first is... article. No, yes, they, they, they uh, wrote about us. <laughs> we wrote about us. The, the, you know, it's hard to kick old habits. So this first thing we're going to discuss is the four state challenge. And to give you context of what that actually is, it's about a 42 to 45 mile hike. Yeah. Um, generally 45 since you have to do a little bit of uh, backtracking. Right. It starts or ends. It's really uh, two points. So you can start at the Penmar State Park on the border of Maryland and Pennsylvania, or you can start in Harper's, Ver Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. Yeah. Fun fact, did you know that Penmar is named Penmar because it's on the Pennsylvania-Maryland border? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it is It is a fun fact. Um, it, it The goal, I guess, if you're looking at it from a challenge, as a challenge, would be to complete it within 24 hours. So we decided to try that and do it within 24 hours. The terrain, what would you say, moderately difficult? Moderate to easy. There was no rock scrambles. It was a little bit of elevation change, about 8,000 feet total over the 42 to 45 miles. So it's only like 200 feet per mile, which is yeah. not much. I mean, it's the Appalachians, and we mostly hiked ridgelines. And then wasn't super rocky, trails well-maintained since it's the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, um, we bought we brought with us about three liters of water, not knowing where we would find water along the way. We knew we might be able to or no, we knew we definitely would. We find knew we it would at some yeah. point. We just didn't know when and how long we may have to go without water. Um, you came in super clutch with the the filter bag yes. that allowed us to get water out of streams as springs. we hiked, springs. Yep. <clears throat> and so when we found those water sources, you filtered the water for everybody. Here, hold on, sorry. <clears throat> and um, and we were able to get water that way. Yeah. Uh, but then we were also able to get water at various points along the trail, either at uh, park areas, bathrooms. bathrooms. Right. They had some, I guess, one at Washington Monument, they actually had a pump for water. So that was very nice. Yes. And, and beyond having to suffer through the Airbnb, which I think, let's just talk about that at the end yeah, because please. it ties back into the travel tip of the week. Uh, we unfortunately did not check the weather. Which well, is I, just, I did. I was just did? hoping it would okay. hold off. I was assuming we'd be done before it started raining. Okay. So we had to suffer through some rain in the dark. It started to rain by like, like 11 p.m. Uh, well, or, or it we, started to trickle around 7 o'clock at night when yep. the sun went down. So essentially from 7 until about 1 in the morning when we finished, 
we had to walk through various degrees of rain. Well, I'd say the end. Seven, seven to nine, it was trickle. And then at nine, it was a consistent downpour for the next four hours. Yeah. It seemed to rain harder from 11 o'clock, too. From 11 yeah. to 1 was really hard because I was just soaked. So um, we one tip we wanted to give, if you do consider traveling this or, or hiking this, is because it is at night, you tend to need a headlamp, and we recommend bringing extra batteries. I don't know how our batteries did not die. We got extremely lucky, but we hiked with a headlamp for, for several hours. Yeah. So two. It was we started at 4 in the morning. Hiked until about 6.30 when the sun and dawn started. So two, two and a half hours there in the dark. And then it truly got dark around 7.30 or 8. And then we had another five hours of hiking. So it was about seven to eight hours of hiking in the dark with headlamps. So make sure you bring batteries. Uh, and I, Elliot, I'm curious to hear how, you know, how your mental state changed throughout this trip. I'm going to give insight into mine. Please. So like the, the first... 20 miles I felt were quote unquote easy, challenging. It, it was a 20 mile walk. It was hard to do, but uh, I found it, I didn't find it mentally challenging really at that point in into the, into the walk. That's where my feet started to hurt though. Now, I think it was mile 20 to 25 was an uphill walk that we did at a pretty fast pace. And then that's where my feet really started to hurt. And I could feel the blisters really start to bother me. Um, I also made the mistake of not eating enough. So one thing that you have to consider, I think I burned somewhere in the ballpark of like 9,000 calories that day. So you need to constantly eat food as you hike. I made the mistake of not eating. So once we got up that eating enough, eating enough, sorry. Yeah. And, um, so once we got up to that one point, uh, my feet started to hurt. I didn't eat enough. I started to get dizzy. And then it became a true challenge, like a true mental game. And I remember following you, walking behind you. And if I looked anywhere other than at my feet, where my steps would be, I would get so dizzy that I couldn't walk straight. And I was just trying to concentrate so intently on where I would put my next foot, my, my next step. So, and I did that for miles. It felt like, I don't even know how long, but like that's, I've never been so in tune with where I placed my foot for such an extended <laughs> period of time. Then we eventually sat down, we ate and, and I felt a little better. And then as we continued for um, the next 25 miles, for the next 25 miles, my feet got progressively worse, which was just its own mental challenge. Then as the sun went down and it started to rain, that really messed with me. For some reason, I was worried about slipping and falling in the woods, hitting my head, I, I, For some I, reason, I think that's very valid. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it got slippery and all you could see was the light we had with our headlamps. Yeah, like so 10 feet in front small, of us. 10 foot, yeah, 10 foot area. And it was intense. It was really intense for me. So I, I just, at that, all you could do was move forward. There were points where I thought to myself, maybe I can just go under this tree, wait out the rain, sleep under this tree, like curl up on a little ball and wake up in the morning and finish the hike give my feet a chance to rest but uh we we just we endured and then um that last stretch was really hard it was on flat ground but just it was in the middle of the night and it was we were i was suffering from exhaustion at that point i was calorie deficient my feet were numb numb and 
Uh, my clothes were drenched, saturated to the point that they were very heavy. So it was it was really, really mentally challenging, especially towards the end. Um, but you, from my perspective of you, was that you kind of like, it wasn't that challenging. I, I, I don't want to say I really, I liked it, but I mean, it was, it felt good to do it. And I, I would have liked that the rain wasn't there, but it added to the experience. I also had a poncho. You did have a poncho. That probably helped. You st- it did. Yeah, quite staying a bit. dry probably helped you. Yeah, I was soaking yeah. wet. Um, I felt like every time I overcame a challenge mentally, nature added another one. So it was like, get over your feet. And I, and I was able to put that aside somehow. I mean, there were points where I would just hike and my feet were numb. I could not feel them, which was scary. And then the pain would come back, especially when the terrain changed. So if it was yeah. rocky, I would get used to the feel of the rocks. Then it would go flat and I have to readjust to how that new pain felt based on how my feet were landing on the ground. And then I had to like restart over the mental challenge of like getting past the foot pain. Um, and then it was, and then it was the rain uh, that started messing with me. And then I remember when we were hiking on the, along the ridgeline for several miles in the rain, in the dark, you could hear branches and things falling around us. And you knew that there were animals around us because anytime we look out into the trees, you would see the eyes glowing and they were deer, mostly deer. Um, we didn't I think see they were there. all deer. <laughs> yeah. But, and, but then at one point I screamed out. You did. You startled darkness. me so much. I thought there's no warning. I thought it was a bear behind me and it was just my mind playing tricks on me with the, with the so, rain falling branches. It felt like someone was following me. And so I just turned around and my goal was to startle a bear. I think I startled you. So. <laughs> yes. You startled yeah. me for sure. Um, yeah. I think the biggest challenge for me was underestimating the length of some of the spans because I, I think we had estimated or I had estimated how long it would take and what the distance was from certain sections. Yeah. And then when we hit the where I the time which I thought we would complete that section and we weren't there yet, it was like, oh, crap, hopefully we'll get there in the next five minutes. And then, you know, that extended into 20 minutes. And I'm like that that to me was the most demoralizing was ex- having that expectation of how long it would take to complete certain sections of it. But overall, I I would do it again, and I would, I would do it differently. I definitely want to do it again. I so and that's going to bring me into one of my next points. So I went into it planning to take something out of it. Like I knew it was going to be challenging, and so I wanted to see what I could learn about myself from forcing myself into challenges. Something that I joke with Elliot is that I could kind of have a cushy life. Like I there's there's not a whole lot of of physical struggle for sure. Um, and so I wanted to see, I wanted to force myself to deal with struggle, like in stress. And so, um, what, why are you laughing? Just, <laughs> uh, most people are very happy if they have a cushy life. Yeah. Yes. I wouldn't necessarily, I, well, I, no, I understand what you're getting at, it's, but it's, it's not, you, you want, you want a good life, not an easy life because, because, Right, like you need to be able to overcome things throughout your life. You need to so be want, able to, but you don't necessarily. But how do you learn? To. How do you learn how to deal and manage stress if you never have to deal with stress? I so think, it's and again, it's not again. It's, that's it's not that's a, bad a privilege. Life. Like the difference between good and bad, and easy and hard. Like they're they're not the same. So good life, not easy life. Yeah, no, I I fully I 
get that, but I, I think there, to be able to, to say that you are, uh, <laughs> to complain about a cushy life, I think is one thing. Well, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not complaining either. All right. Um, I just wanted to clear that up. No, I'm not complaining. Uh, I, I, you have a good life. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I get you, you want to challenge yourself. That's what this yeah. was about. That's what, this, that is, that's what this was about. Yeah. Yes. And just for everyone listening, uh, there were multiple times during this walk that Bob was like, I have experienced this. This is a challenge. I didn't think it was going to be this hard. I am never doing anything like this again. And I kid you not, two or three days later, he texted me and said, all right, we're doing it. Th- we're doing this every year now. It's going to be an annual event. And I'm like, Bob, you, you literally just said that you were never doing it again. I was riding a high off of this hike. So my next time, the next day that I was in the gym, I, it was a few days after the hike because I couldn't walk for at least three days. Um, I was able to push through some of my workouts like never before because I knew I have this new level of understanding of what I can manage as far as pain goes and how I can push myself. I can push myself way harder than I was. And so even something as minor as pushing through additional reps in the gym or just pushing through a workout when you're exhausted and tired and you don't feel like it, I know I have the ability when I'm forced to, to push myself through that. So if I can find that ability to do that when I don't really need to, your workouts are going to be exponentially better. You know, every single time you you can, you can manage that. And that's just um, one example of how it applied to your life because other people might take that, that challenge and apply it to other aspects. So exactly. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, I would, again, I would do this again. I think the the thing that was probably the worst part of the experience was the Airbnb. Yes. Yeah. The Airbnb was um, disgusting to, to put it, to put it lightly. We, yeah. we booked I, an Airbnb. It could have been worse, but it, it was marketed as being nice and it wasn't. Right. It was some, it was, it was some back woodsy type of house, huge house on the side of the road. Uh, when we pulled up to that house, it was like a hoarder's house. We could see inside. It would look, appeared to be abandoned. There were toys littered across the yard, but not toys as if someone was playing there. It looked like a house that was like sitting outside of Chernobyl, where like kids just up and left their bikes on the side of the roads because they had to flee nuclear holocaust. It was okay. really a extreme, but I, I see it. Um, <laughs> we didn't realize that that was not, we thought that was the Airbnb. In fact, when we went around the back, we found a smaller house that was a, in better condition. And then when we went into the house, um, it was disgusting. I mean, I don't think there's any other way to put it. There, there was a, still a rag in the shower, the toilet, yep. when you flushed it, the bowl, um, leaked. actually leaked the, there was mold all over the baseboard. Um, the floors were warped from Being water wet. damage. Yeah. We couldn't find the TV remote, the, like so many things, my blinds really didn't work. And it was just super creepy because when you were behind in the smaller house and you saw the back of the bigger house in the top window, the light, the light was, on. was on. And it reminded me of the movie Psycho. You know how like in that one house, Norman Bates, he would always have the light on in the high window. So I was afraid of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre type of deal. You know, you never know. You never know. You are in like. Yeah, I slept pretty country. well. Yeah, I didn't sleep for two nights. Yeah. Even the night after that hike, I struggled to sleep. Not because I was afraid of getting murdered. I don't know why. I think my body was just destroyed. But <laughs> Well, I think so. The The worst part of the experience to me finding the Airbnb was it wasn't very clear. We didn't have many instructions and we didn't have much contact with the Airbnb host. So 
the big takeaway going back to the travel tip of the week is try to it is important to make sure they have reviews um it's always a risk booking something with zero reviews but on the flip side you could be helping them out early on unfortunately we ended up giving them a bad review and hopefully that helps them grow and improve their experience for future guests i struggled with whether or not i would give them a bad review because i do feel for the person trying to start a business and make money and i do want to help them out what it came down to was uh, whether or not I'm comfortable with giving a good review and lying. It would have been a lie, right? I would have just been helping them out because I care for them. And then having a family come through. Now, it was it was the two of us and then a third friend who joined us on the hike. So three grown men. I felt like we, 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 had, we were able to deal with it. But if it was my wife and I with our infant son and toddler daughter in a place with a leaky toilet, like disgusting on the floor, like there was mold everywhere, uh, the shower was disgusting. That would have been ex- way more difficult to deal with. Um, and so I, 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 well, I didn't feel comfortable with that, knowing that maybe a family could be the next so, person to book yeah, the place. While we, while we may have not necessarily lied and helped the Airbnb host, we certainly helped everyone else looking at that as a potential lodging. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's the general. <laughs> if you're interested in the four-state challenge, let us know. We'll talk more about it. Um, We're doing it next, I will, next September. <laughs> I will add a disclaimer that this is not something that you should just get up and do if you've never done any kind of exercise in your life because it is very challenging and it will exhaust you. And if you don't prepare, it can become dangerous. And what were the final stats? Uh, 40, 42 miles. Um, we And to be 100% honest, we did not finish the four-state challenge. We did not get to Virginia. Right. So that is yeah. why we are going back to complete it. We ended up stopping at the car after 21 hours of hiking. Yeah, we did not. You had to you had to go do an additional two miles out and back. And by 1 a.m., we did not feel like doing that. Yes. So um, 41, yeah. our, our experience was 41 miles over 100,000 steps, roughly eight to 9,000 calories, 21 hours of hiking, um, probably consumed close to 5,000 calories and I don't know, maybe a gallon and a half to two gallons of water each. Yeah. It's quite yeah. the experience. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. It was one that is helping me out a lot. I like it. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on. So credit cards are changing. Well, no, credit cards may change. May there, change there's a yeah. possibility that credit cards may change. Yeah, so we we won't get into all of the details of this because there's a lot of specific things about um, different acts, amendments, bills. But what is important to note here is it's called the Credit Card Completion Act of 2022, and if passed, could have some implications on credit rewards. Um, this will be kind of included or related to the Dodd-Frank Wall Street reform, and then this would be called the Durbin Amendment. And the big thing, there are a few big points to look at here, and the proposed legislation would improve competition with credit card exchanges, which is good for businesses, small and large. And just to give you a little bit of data, Visa and MasterCard account for more than 83% of general purpose credit cards. So that's, that's a pretty big amount, not a lot of room for competition here. And then the other big thing that we want to point out and how this applies to rewards is that if the bill is applied to credit cards in the same way the Durban Amendment was to debit cards, there's potential for history to repeat itself as credit card companies could significantly scale back or even discontinue rewards programs on purchases due to decreased interchange 
revenue. So that's how it would impact you as a traveler for trying to rack up airline miles, anything related to purchasing that gives you more travel credits. And corporations are lobbying for this to go through. So there's big corporations, seven, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Target, Walmart uh, wrote a letter to Congress in support of the bill. Um, that always makes me weary. But but it, it yeah. so it's it, you can't just limit it. If it's going to help small businesses, it by default will help big businesses yeah. because mm -hmm. it's cutting the amount of the transaction fee. It's going to help small businesses, which is big. That's very important. Um, but with that being said. Most of these large credit card companies and banks will offset their lost revenue by moving fees elsewhere into either minimum checking account fee requirements or uh, what is the other one? Minimum monthly balances. So you're saying that the, the, the CEOs of these banks are not going to take a slightly less uh, salary? That is correct, Bob. Can you believe it? Okay. <laughs> yes, I can. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, this comes down to if you are the type of person that is relying on credit card points, then you should be the one you should pay attention to this, whether or not it gets passed is still unknown. It It's likely to not get passed right now, it, it, or even in the near future, the letter or this article goes on to say that it seems unlikely that the bill will be brought forth to a committee in the near term. Um, and most legislative analysts do not see it getting passed before January of 2023. So who knows what's going to happen, but if you do rely heavily on your credit card reward systems and you see the, uh, what is this called again? The Congressional, or no, the Credit Card Competition Act of 2022. If you see that get passed, then go back and look at your rewards programs and pay attention and see what changes. Maybe, you know, don't continue to use them thinking that 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 nothing will get passed on to you. Yep. All um, right. So up next is the Newark airport and it's no longer going to be considered an NYC hub. And that is important because there are ways for travelers to basically change their flight or switch their flight within a city code. And mm -hmm. so now that Newark is not going to be part of the NYC city code, you're not going to be able to change your flight from JFK or LaGuardia to Newark. Yeah. And Bob, talk a little bit about what that means for travelers. Well, yeah, I mean, that that's, I, I think you just, you said most of it, right? So if you're flying into JFK or you're flying out of JFK and for whatever reason, you can no longer do that. You used to be able to, uh, for very little fee or for almost, for, for nothing, change to, to Newark or LaGuardia because it was part of the New York City airport code system. Now Newark, which is located in New Jersey, for those of you who may not know that, um, will no longer be part of that New York system. So if you need to change your flight to fly and, and and fly out of or into Newark instead of New York City, you may be charged a brand new fee as if you're buying a brand new flight. So that's the negative aspect of that. The, the potential positive to come out of that for travelers is that because Newark is not part of the New York City airport code system, that you may be able to get cheaper flights out of Newark, maybe. Like, we don't know for sure, but New York City obviously is super expensive. So if Newark is no longer tied to that city, it might be cheaper. Now, Newark was already cheaper than JFK and LaGuardia and oftentimes cheaper than Philadelphia, too. I, I don't know why, but that's one of my my two go-tos are Philly and Newark and then sometimes JFK. I've never flown out of LaGuardia, but... Uh, yeah. So if you're in the area, even if you're not, like, I think even a lot of people on the West coast or the Midwest that try to go into Europe, 
may have layovers in either JFK or Newark. So that's just something to pay attention to. Newark is a big international hub. It is. It is. So this next article is fun. Uh, it, very short, but fun. So scientists have calculated how many la- ants live on Earth, and the number is astounding, like not even comprehensible in the human brain. And that number is 20 quadrillion yes. or 20,000 trillion. Yes. So that number doesn't make sense to anybody. You can't no. You can't physically imagine that. Um, so where they did break it down. So if all the ants were plucked from the ground and put on a scale, they would outweigh all of the wild birds and mammals put together. For every person, there are about 2.5 million ants. That's insane. Yeah. Did you, I, I saw a quote or something. I, didn't, I don't remember what it was, but it really like it, it says like something like it's a bug's world. We're just living in it. They outnumber us so yeah. dramatically. So Absolutely. it really is their world. And they're so valuable to um, the ecosystem that we really and we really don't see it and pay attention to it to our soil from our soil to uh, the plants. And it's, you know, the pollination. And it's, it's incredible. We really do rely on insects very heavily. I would have been, I mean, as a human trying, if we were to be dropped into like the dinosaur time period, you pick any of them there, the insects were significantly larger and were terrifying. Like the arthropods were huge. Um, Like if you look at some of the ones, like, you know, the millipedes and like the centipedes that we Mm -hmm. see. So some of those in the dinosaur time period were like eight foot. Yeah, I've seen I've seen like them um, in movies and documentaries about the dinosaurs. Did you watch the new Jurassic Park yet? I haven't. Have you? I watched it last night. Did you? How was yeah, it? Yeah. You like it? Uh, if you enjoy animated dinosaurs eating people and each other, it is phenomenal. Great. Uh, I tend to enjoy that. So okay. yeah, it, it's not going to win any awards. The acting was a little shoddy. But the amount of Easter eggs and the amount of tribute spent, like, or the amount of tribute to the original movie, to me, like, as a fan of Jurassic Park, I really enjoyed it. I know it got, like, horrible reviews and, uh, again, not, (laughs) nothing exceptional. I liked it, though. I liked it. All right. Well, that makes me happy because I I think I'll like it. it. It seems like just like a good blockbuster that may not. Yeah, wow! And they have, anyway. It had all the actors from the original. I don't know if you yeah, know. I did know that. That I was kind of excited for that. It's kind of like blending both worlds of the Jurassic Park versus Jurassic World. It, uh, yeah, it, it was you know, and they didn't try. Like I think a lot of the critics were saying that they they were mad that uh, it wasn't a great movie, but they didn't try to make it a great movie. It's silly. The humor is like trying really to be entertaining, goofy, and it's making fun of itself. Good. And okay. so I I liked it. All right, that's all good right. to know. Well, so so it sounds like we're getting into more of like a movie podcast here, movie review podcast, which I think there are already enough. One of the the reasons I brought that up is because there are big bucks. So it's it's actually a focal point. So you'll see. All right. Good to know. Good to know. What's up next? Uh, So um, you could skip Rome. You could skip Cancun. There's a new tour tour company account in town. Uh, Ukraine. So there is this company called Visit Ukraine. They are an online platform that are reaching out to people to bring tourism back to the country of Ukraine, promising to show people uh, where you can walk along bomb debris, ruined buildings, cathedrals and stadiums, burned out military hardware, and uh, you'll hear the wail of air raid sirens. So um, people are signing up for this dark tourism Attraction. Well, and let's let's make this clear. So the CEO has specifically stated that this is not dark tourism. 
yeah. because it's more about the resilience of individuals. But if you look at dark tourism throughout what and what it actually is and where you would go, anything, any portion of dark tourism always has resiliency associated with it and the good side of dark tourism. So yes, by definition, this is a form of dark tourism, even though it's showing a, a different highlight of it. Yeah. Uh, it, it it's scary. Um, I so in my my personal opinion, do not do this. <laughs> do not go. Um, I, it, like Kiev could be bombed at any second. I've been following the war almost daily. Like I'm I'm very interested in the global politics around the war and how it's changing uh, European landscape and relationships among these different countries. I just I find it fascinating, and uh, especially now, like it's a, it, there's been a major turning point. Like Ukraine has taken a lot of land back, and Russia is essentially kind of on the edge, and so. I wouldn't be surprised if bombs start to hit Kiev again. Like you really have no idea. So yeah, uh, I would not do this. Now there are people that are adrenaline junkies and they, they like living on the edge like this. And so it and says they sold 150 tickets so far. Yeah. So, and uh, specifically it is to highlight the Ukrainian citizens spirit of defiance, as well as showing the outside world that life goes on even in a war. Yeah. And oh yeah, I mean if you're paying attention and you're watching videos, you can see people like walking along the streets shopping and going to stores and then suddenly um anti-aircraft missiles are shooting above them and they're running for their lives and it's it's just crazy to see such a modern city undergo this uh type of war. It's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Um all right, next article. Uh two sleepy pilots uh fell asleep. I can't believe this happened. They were two pilots, so they were traveling from Sudan to Ethiopia. So actually, correction okay. from the intro. Um, <clears throat> but it was an Ethiopian airline, and the pilots fell asleep and missed the runway. And air traffic control couldn't get a hold of them. And they just kept That's going. Wild. They missed the runway, and then there's a trigger. There was like an alarm that went off when they missed the runway, and I guess they woke up and had to turn the plane around to land. Yeah. Um. I mean, that to me is kind of wild. Like, it, I understand one pilot falling asleep, but both. And the flight from Sudan to Ethiopia isn't that long. It's not like they're going to... Across the Atlantic or something. Yeah, across the Atlantic <laughs> or across the Indian Ocean. I mean, it's it's like two hours. Yeah. No, they, they must... The, the article was actually interesting. So it did talk about this, but then a nice chunk of it actually got into how um, pilots across the world are, are very tired right now. They, there's been a shortage, and so they're working through fatigue. And it is quite scary, um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about that on many, many Travel Bites episodes over the last year. And uh, the interesting thing here, or the good news at the end of the day, is that they landed safely still 25 minutes later. So they just <laughs> made like an, a figure eight loop and then came back to the airport. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, this is a good article to, to have in your in your toolbox or good information to have in your toolbox with the continued cancellations and delayed flights and forced changes to your flights due to uh, air airline shortages, staff shortages. There's now a new tool that you can use to check out what you are owed. Um, so click the link in our article. We're not going to get into every airline is different. Um, and so what you can do is you can click the link in the article or you can just Google this on your own. And there's a like a spreadsheet where you can see the airline and then you can see all the different things that you'd be compensated for, whether or not it's a full refund. Some some hotels, I'm sorry, some airlines will pay for your hotel 
and transportation to the hotel. And so I think that's good information to have. I don't know actually if they're le- if the airline itself is legally obligated to let you know all the things they have to they can they have to pay you out with, or if you have to ask to be paid out. Mm. I don't. I have no idea. But um, I think that's good information to have. It's a little bit easier to navigate now, and I think this is part of. So it's part of the D- the Department of Transportation um, is taking this initiative. And sort of kind of going head to head with the airlines in some regard on making it easier for people. Yeah, that could be good. Um, we'll see what the actual implications of that are as it rolls out. Yeah. So second to last article here, uh, Bob is a big iPhone person. And as most of you know, I am. You use the off-brand phones? I use the other the other brands, yeah. Yeah, the off-brand. Um, I mean, it always seems like there's it's you're either Apple or anything else, and yeah. I mean, I don't really care either way. I, I mean, I'm not like a huge Apple guy, but uh, I've had an iPhone for a very long time. So, okay, they the new one rolled out, and I think there's three big features that came with this phone. So yep. the first one is some, the eSIM card. Yep. Some are some are new. All of these are new to the iPhone, but not new to mobile phones. Yeah, but except one is, and we'll get into yeah. that. Yeah. So the the one is the eSIM card, and Elliot, why don't you explain what the eSIM card is? So the eSIM card is basically you don't need the actual physical SIM card anymore, and you can have up to I believe eight eSIMs on a single device, which is great if you're traveling abroad and you want to connect to different uh, networks that are specific to those countries. Now, the Google phones and Android phones have had this ability since around 2017 or so. And I think I talked about this on our Morocco podcast that I have Google Fi, which is an international cell phone carrier service. So it works the same if you're in the United States versus any other country. And it actually has a long list of all the countries that can service it. So I never had to install a SIM card. I just switched over to Google Fi and it automatically connects you when you land in that country, which is fantastic. And the cost stays exactly the same. There's no international data charges or calling or texting charges. Well, Amazing. And, and, and I mean, I guess with my iPhone, I would do something. I would just go through Verizon, my service provider, and pay $10 a day and then automatically connect to the new country when I landed. So how is that different? Mine automatically does it without an extra pay. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But, but Verizon uses those other cell carriers in those other countries. Same thing that okay. Google does, but... In this case, the eSIMs are allow you to connect directly to those networks. Okay. So now with the iPhone 14, you can do that. Yep. Um, the big thing is the new emergency SOS satellite feature. So now, regardless of where you are and how bad your cell phone connection is, you can still call emergency services by, you know, your phone now connects to a satellite. And uh, before the show, you said this is a brand new feature to any cell phone. Yes. As far as I know, uh, no other cell phone carrier or phone itself has this capability. Most phones have the emergency SOS feature, which does increase your range to different cell towers if your cell tower isn't there. But this automatically connects you to a satellite. And so whether you're hiking in a national park or camping in the wilderness or in a city that has limited uh, cell tower range, you should be able to connect to a satellite and have emergency SOS get to you. It's a pretty cool feature. That's yep. I, that's something that I, I imagine is going to be on every phone 
yep. within a few years. And the last big part of this that is very important to travelers generally is that it has a pretty incredible camera now. It's got a 48 megapixel uh, camera that you can unlock with raw footage. Um, some incredible, it actually has a telephoto zoom lens, so it doesn't oh, just wow. digitally crop. So uh, I was playing around with it earlier this week, and it does take some amazing photos. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess if you have, what is it, $1,400 to drop I on think, a phone? I think, yeah, I think the I, the 14 Pro, I think, is 1300 Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But I mean, most people just roll that into their plan and pay it over two years. But if you're willing to drop the cash straight for it, it's all yours. I'm, I'm a little conflicted on, on whether or not the price is worth it. So on one hand, it's like, that's outrageous. This is a cell phone. It shouldn't be that much money. But then on the other, it's it's similar to what you pay for a computer. And this is a computer that you use every day, multiple times a day for several years. The amount of use you get out of it compared to a computer, which is the same price, it seems as though the computer is the thing that's overpriced and the cell phone is actually the thing that's, <laughs> you know, normally that are priced at a reasonable um, price point. So I don't, I don't know. I go back and forth. It seems outrageous, but again, at the same time, for how much use you get out of it, how often you use it, 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 I don't know. I don't know. So I, I'm not buying it. I, I, ultimately, let, I'm not spending that money. I do want to provide some clarification here. The base model is, I think, a thousand, and then you can upgrade all the way up to a one terabyte storage for sixteen hundred, and that's just on the Pro. Uh, yeah. Sorry, that's the Pro Max. Yeah. So yeah, it it can get spicy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Next article. Uh, this we one, probably should have put this up further so that we didn't end with it, but it is what it is. Yeah, uh, this one is uh, disturbing and it's very sad. And personally, I find it incredibly infuriating. Um, if you are not uh, in the mood for an article that includes uh, things of this nature, it's probably might be time to to turn off the podcast um, because it pretty devastating. Um, all right. So this a Louisiana woman was carrying an unviable fetus and she was forced to travel thousands of miles to New York to receive an abortion because the procedure was deemed illegal in her home state. So um, 36 year old woman, uh, she at 10 weeks pregnant um, learned that she had the fetus had this uh, issue called acrania. So it's a rare and fatal condition in which the baby's skull fails to form in the womb. When she went to her doctor, she could not, or she was told that the baby would not, would likely not survive or would survive for a very short amount of time, anywhere from just several minutes to a week. But because of the abortion laws, she was forced to uh, leave. She couldn't do anything. The doctors in her home state could not help her, so she had to travel uh, all the way up to New York City. Yep. Um, yeah, she said that she's quoted as saying, basically, they said I had to carry my baby to bury my baby. Um, yeah, it's in it's incredibly saddening the the whole situation. I think most women that have experienced any kind of miscarriage or any issues with their unborn child have can empathize with this or rather sympathize and most others can empathize that it's it's very unfortunate that she had to travel this far and that she was uncertain whether or not she could get care yeah yeah yep 
Um, and this so that, this is kind of the new. It's we've talked about medical tourism before about people leaving the United States to get other procedures, and I think this um, getting an abortion or terminating a pregnancy is going to be part of that medical tourism. To and unfortunately, with abortions, it's usually time sensitive. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that that's an interesting point, the medical tourism thing. And that's something I, I think it deserves its own podcast. I'd be curious to see stats and like how people are actually so medical tourism within the United States and the medical tourism to for, um, Americans specifically to Canada, to Mexico. So I, I'm going to look into a guest that can talk to that. But something that I was thinking about doing. So I think my wife and I might go to Montreal next year. And I'm going to look into buying asthma inhalers while I'm there. Now, I believe you can get asthma inhalers mailed to you from Canada for way cheaper than you can get them for in the United States. But while I'm there, I'll probably pick a few up. So, um, yeah, yeah. It's certainly, it, it is certainly something to follow. And this will be an evolving situation over the next several years, maybe even decades. Yeah. All right. So coming up this month for the Traveler's Blueprint, uh, the next podcast we have is with Corita uh, on pursuing a family travel blog. And then following that, we have Ursula who uh, walked Wales with ovarian cancer. Um, both both two great women explaining their individual travel stories. Really awesome, enjoyable podcasts. And we highly recommend checking those out as they yeah. are released. Thank you for listening to us, and thanks for bearing with us as we told our four-state challenge story. If you love the show and you want to support us, you can do that non-financially by subscribing to the show, leaving a review. If you want to support us financially, you can do that with as little as a dollar a month on Buy Me a Coffee, or you could get any of our podcast merchandise on redbubble.com. And please share this with your friends, family, coworkers, and any other folks that you think that they would enjoy this show. So stay safe, stay healthy, and tune in next week. Mm-hmm.